Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors educational podcast. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. I'm here today with Professor Yaron Nilly from the University of Wisconsin Law School. Professor Nilly is the co-author of a research paper forthcoming in the Southern California Law Review entitled The Giant Shadow of Corporate Gadflies. Welcome, Professor Nilly. Thank you for having me. Professor, let me start by asking you, what are corporate gadflies and what motivated you to write a research paper about them? Yeah, thank you. So um, gadflies got the nickname based on this pesky fly that uh, used to arouse cattle, uh, goes back all the way to ancient Greek days. Um, and in the corporate context, this is the nickname that is given to uh, a handful of retail investors, small investors, that they've become uh, uh, very active in uh, engagement with companies, mainly through the submission of shareholder proposals. Um, and they're really a fascinating phenomenon. Um, uh, the way, you know, uh, my co-author, Kobe Castile and I came about uh, uh, first uh, uh, learning about them is that both of us were um, working at a, a clinic at Harvard Law School uh, the shoulders right project uh, where we we uh, too dealt with submission of shoulder proposals on behalf of investors and um, you know part of it was also looking at who submits the proposals and, and, and kind of uh, I remember a class where we looked at kind of the fact that uh, roughly 50% of the proposals are being submitted by individuals um, so that kind of like started the, the seed of uh, our interest in gadflies um, and then Kobe uh, 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 and I have a series of uh, uh, papers, work, you know, dealing with retail investors' uh, uh, participation in in corporate governance. And um, at some point, we said, well, we should, you know, look more closely into uh, 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 this topic of shoulder proposals and corporate gutflies. So that's kind of was the the impetus of this project, and we really try to dive dive into it both theoretically and empirically, see what corporate gutflies do. Uh, and how does uh, uh, taking a step back? How does that? Uh, what, what story does it tell us about the the ecosystem of corporate governance in the United States? So, Professor, your paper begins with a quote from perhaps the most colorful of all corporate gadflies, Evelyn Davis. So, what can today's investors learn from Miss Davis? And what's your favorite Evelyn Davis story? Yeah, so so you know, I, I think to some extent, a lot of um, what uh, Evelyn Davis uh, was passed away a few years ago, um, um, it's already kind of emulated by a lot of investors, right? So I think her uh, the quote we have is that she did not get where she got uh, by nobody being shy or by uh, you know standing in line, and 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 in a sense, a lot of investors today are. Uh, emulating the, the, the spirit behind it, the fact that they are entitled to get responses from companies, that they are, you know, even if they don't hold, you know, 5% of stake in a company, they management should be willing to engage with them, should be willing to listen to them, that they are allowed to kind of interact with other shareholders. And we see, you know, many more uh, shareholders, both retail and non-retail, uh, are, are trying to act like that. You know, the recent, uh, um, you know, uh, a flood of uh, you know millennials into the direct investing through Robinhood and all of the GameStop AMC 
uh, recent stories kind of tell a story of investors that are much more uh, willing to, uh, you know, demand uh, a seat at the table or at least a, a, a listening ear. So I, I think in that sense, um, she was a pioneer in, in doing that. She was also a pioneer in, in kind of leveraging her uh, uh, unique position uh, uh, to kind of um, uh, get the attention that she wanted. And, you know, that's part of the, the kind of the interesting stories with Gadflies, right? The paper that we have is um, taking kind of a balanced view towards Gadflies. There's a lot of stuff that they do that is very, very positive. And there are some, you know, some things that are maybe a little bit more uh, worrisome. And, you know, one of the, uh, you know, the stories about Evelyn Davis that was always kind of an interesting encapsulates it is the fact that she... Um, used to require uh, uh, CEOs to buy two copies of her, uh, you know, uh, subscription magazine, and each copy was $600, right? So uh, that was an interesting kind of uh, uh, way to monetize her, her, her uh, and maybe finance the, the, the cost of, you know, showing up and submitting all those proposals. But it was a, kind of a, uh, back at the time, I think it was kind of an ingenious way to kind of monetize her, her, her role as a gadfly. And, you know, obviously companies didn't like it, but I always find it as a kind of an interesting anecdote about her uh, uh, role as a gadfly. Professor, your paper includes a critique of the Securities Exchange Commission's September 2020 amendments to the shareholder proposal rule, or Rule 14A8. CII, the SEC's Office of Investor Advocate, uh, the chairman of the U.S. Senate Banking Committee, and many other market participants strongly oppose that rule and believe the rule should be overturned or reversed. Based on your research, what's your view of that rule? Yeah, we, we agree. Kobe and I both agree with the sentiment of uh, many investors that uh, uh, it was an unfortunate uh, rulemaking by the SEC. Uh, um, you know, and now with the new administration in place, maybe it will get revisited. Definitely the new SEC's composition uh, is much more uh, um, lenient towards the uh, voice of shareholders. I, I think there are, you know, Several big things that need to be kind of addressed here. So, so first of all, what the SEC tried to do um, is basically make it harder for investors to submit shareholder proposals. So by raising the threshold of how much uh, equity you need to hold in a company to be eligible to uh, submit a proposal, um, as well as kind of restrictions on how many times you can submit a proposal, you you know if if you know the process well you know that this is a significant limitations. The SEC tried to downsize it and and downplay it and say basically this is not a big change to for, to what was uh, uh, previously uh, done. But by requiring somebody uh, who wants to submit a proposal only after a year of holding equity to hold twenty five thousand dollars worth of equity in a company, you make it you basically drive out a lot of gadflies out of the equation, right? Um, the people like McRitchie and Chabadin, they, you know, they usually don't hold $25,000 in the company. And even if they were requiring them to hold it for three years, basically creates a lot of liquidity for them. Um, so, you know, understanding that is basically understanding that this was a, a, a very targeted attempt by the SEC to drive out gadflies from the shareholder submission uh, business. And, you know, uh, um, as we started, they, you know, gadflies uh, uh, take a key role in doing that, and I'll get to it in a second. Um, a second point that is very important and, and couldn't be overlooked is the fact that a lot of topics require momentum and require time to percolate. Uh, so when you submit a proposal for the first time, it might get two, 3% support. And eventually they start garnering more and more support. 
Um, and it doesn't necessarily need to get to 50% support. You don't necessarily need to get the proposal passed to get companies to really think carefully about it, right? So, so even proposals that get 30, 35% support from shareholders send a very strong message to the management team that they should think about whether they want to revise the company's policies on that specific matter. And what the SEC has done there too, it made it difficult to resubmit proposals to get that momentum, to build that uh, consensus among investors regarding that topic. And every company is different. So investors might want to see a little bit before they decide whether they want to support and it takes time. And that is something that people who are, uh, are dealing with the, the topic of short proposals know that is uh, a process that uh, takes time to, to build. So that's just this kind of issue of the, the reform itself. Now, uh, it's also important to understand that shoulder proposals are extremely important channel of governance making. Uh, a lot of changes to the governance of corporations in the United States are driven by shareholder proposals, not by hostile takeovers, not by shareholder activism by hedge funds. Uh, shareholder proposals are uh, not the only, but they are very, very much a key factor or key driver of governance change. And in reality, the people who are doing it are gaslights. BlackRock and Vanguard are not submitting shareholder proposals. They are supported if that goes in line with their policies uh, or they might reconsider the policies based on shareholder proposals, but they're not going to be the ones that uh, submit the proposals. We talk about it in detail in the paper. Uh, I don't think we have time to go into the, all of the uh, nuts and bolts there, but the reality is that large investors just don't. And they rely on gadflies to do the work for them, to initiate the change, and then basically uh, they'll go along with voting for it and making the change happen. So when you understand that gadflies are a driving force on an important governance lever, what the SEC reform basically is doing is eliminating this whole lever of governance from the landscape, right? You basically say, well, if we're driving out gadflies, institutional investors are unlikely to go into this landscape as it's set up currently, and therefore we might lose altogether this channel. So what uh, Kobe and I talk about in our paper is that, you know, the SEC, instead of just focusing on gadflies, should have realized there's a whole ecosystem there. And you really need to try to tackle it more holistically, understanding kind of the interaction between gadflies and institutional investors, between institutional investors and themselves, between large uh, uh, and active funds and passive funds. All of those need to be taken into account when you design any change to the governance landscape. And we thought it was unfortunate the SEC really tried to basically miss the forest through the trees or, or basically uh, uh, in that sense, really make a reform that didn't capture the and the delicacy of this uh, governance making channel. Final question. Professor, your paper suggests that CII should advise and assist large investors in the submission of shareholder proposals and handle all the operational activity associated with the submission of such proposals. Why do you believe this is a viable idea and what problem would it solve? Yeah, so um, I, I kind of alluded it in the beginning. Uh, I believe it's a viable idea because it's happened before on a small scale. So uh, both Kobe Castell and I were part of the Shoulders Right project. We bring that example in our article. It basically was an, uh, you know, a program at Harvard Law School that uh, represented uh, a bunch of institutional investors and helped them in the process of submitting shoulder proposals to the classified boards. It was very successful on, on its you know, goal. You can argue whether the classifying board is good or bad as a, a vivid academic debate about it, but um, 
to those investors that wanted board declassified, the program helped uh, really make a, a strong shift in the S&P 500 corporations um, when the, compared to when we started. Um, so we know this model can work and we know uh, it could be efficient. And one of the reasons it could be efficient is because it, um, Godflies with all of their importance and uh, their important role in what uh, they currently provide to the shareholder arena have some limitations. So before I go into the limitation, I just want to give them their due uh, 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 role. You know, they get a lot of uh, flack for the wrong reasons. A lot of people say, well, they, you know, they pursue their narrow interests. They, they are just interested in very esoteric issues that are close to their heart, but not stuff that regular shareholders should uh, care about. And, you know, in the paper, we have a lot of data that shows that's not the case, that Godflies do submit proposals that are the heart of interest for shareholders, mainly on corporate governance and investor protection, not so much on environmental or social issues that might be more idiosyncratic. We also show that they tend to get a lot of support and actually their success rate are outperforming those of mutual funds or pension funds that do submit proposals. So they get support, they submit to, on topics that are important, and usually they do a decent job in drafting those proposals. However, they do have some weaknesses, um, and some of them uh, this proposal will try to solve. So, so for, the, for the, the first one is that, you know, it's very idiosyncratic. Godflies are individual people who do it for various reasons, but um, there's a question when any long term you can rely on them. Who's going to succeed them when, you know, they get older and decide to stop doing it? Uh, it's kind of, a lot of those are kind of family businesses, but it's not clear that's going to be successors in line to help them. And this leads also to a concern of institutional knowledge, right? So how do we retain the knowledge of uh, how to submit a proposal successfully, how to draft it, what are the procedural and substantive requirements that you need to do? When you have an organization that is doing it professionally, you can basically provide that uh, uh, to a whole market of uh, investors uh, and not in a very kind of ad hoc way. Um, lastly, I think, you know, um, for me, marketing perspective, having a professional organization doing it would remove some of the unjust uh, 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 flack that Agathlas get, right? You basically now kind of have this intermediary that is perceived as a, a, a more professional uh, player with professional lawyers, professional uh, 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 people that run it. Um, and they can also get a market-wide understanding of how things work across companies. So Godflies usually submit proposals to a, a, a small subset of companies every year. When you have an organization, let's say run by CII, you'll have an organization that will be able to see things uh, more broadly, will be able to coordinate it more effectively, will be able to draft proposals in a way that uh, uh, um, is adjustable to specific companies, that it's not just a, a template uh, that is being used indiscriminately, but actually addresses specific companies' needs or concerns, uh, you know, doesn't conflict with the bylaws or the charter of the company. All of those things are going to be important things uh, that the professional organization can help solve and make it more comfortable for investors to go behind it, both from a marketing perspective and from a substantive perspective. So uh, we think there's a lot of promise in this model. Uh, uh, but for Godflies and for other organizations, we don't necessarily see Godflies go all the way out of the picture. They can use that, you know, that organization to utilize uh, submitting proposals themselves. They can do it uh, alongside uh, a CII or a similar organization. But we do think there's a place for a more um, systemic, robust, uh, uh, long-lasting professional organization that will uh, take a, 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 you know, a major seat in this process. That concludes our podcast episode. On behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, I want to thank our special guest, Professor Yaron Nili of the University of Wisconsin Law School. 
you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at Jeff, J-E-F-F, at C-I-I. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.